0: Welcome everyone, today I got a chance to talk to a middle school teacher who's also an interventionist And our conversation was, I think, as real as conversations on education can get Our guest has a lot of strong opinions about things related to education And that's just the way we like it here at Turn and Talk Podcast So I'm very excited to bring this interview to you Enjoy, make sure you leave a comment or reach out to me if you have any concerns, feedback, thoughts At turnandtalkpodcast.gmail.com Stay tuned Welcome to the Turn and Talk podcast where educators take the mic back and speak their truth without filter. I interview teachers and school personnel and ask them to share their views and experiences about education anonymously. If you work in a school setting or have worked in one and have something to say about education, please email me at turnandtalkpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com because I'd love for you to take the mic back and add your voice to the conversation about public education. Subscribe, share, and enjoy the show. Welcome everybody. I'm really excited to have our guest to the show today. She is a blogger. She's also an educator several years and currently she is a reading interventionist. She's taught in middle school and we're so happy to have her on the show to discuss everything education. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on Turn and Talk. I'm happy to be here.
0: Thank you. Would love to get started with the first question. How did you get into this field, the field of education?
1: Of course. So um, I graduated from Florida State University back in 2004. And I was working in corporate, um, much like most people that didn't originally uh, pursue education as a as mm-hmm. a, a degree, degree plan. So I was working in a corporate job. Um, I was really great at it. Um, but every day I just left feeling unfulfilled in
0: mm-hmm. a way.
1: Um, I felt like, of course, I was crunching numbers. I was producing. I was bringing home a paycheck. But I felt like I was... Uh, limiting myself and settling just for that paycheck and not really um, contributing or impacting anybody. So I started to look at other avenues. My grandmother is an educator my great-grandmother actually was an educator as well after she was cleaning wow. schools she went back and got her degree at 60 and, and pursue education so I was always against it I didn't want to go that route but then I'm like hey let me just explore and see what I can offer um, the education realm so that's how I that's how I got my start just was looking for some more fulfillment and ways to impact people so
0: and then yeah. how did you end up in a middle school?
1: Middle school. So, okay. So I'm a big researcher. Even if I'm purchasing a product, I'm combing through the reviews. I have to know <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like who else has tried it. So um, yeah. when I was doing my research, my grandmother is in special education realm. Um, my sister is also in special education, but I was looking for the need. And when I say that, I mean, um, I know elementary, that's the foundation. And I know high school, they're they're on their way out the door to, you know, conquer the world. But i New or what I've read or researched was that middle school was that that one that no one likes to touch. (laughs) It's that stage to where you know the children are finding themselves or trying to find themselves. Sometimes they uh, lack motivation. Sometimes it's a a struggle, uh, Mm -hmm. identity-wise and academic-wise. So I, you know, signed up for the challenge (laughs) to teach seventh grade. So here I am. (laughs) That's the
0: most challenging one you picked out too, Mm -hmm. seventh grade. Awesome. And then how how did you like it in the beginning? What how how did
1: Go. Oh, my first year was amazing. I had never stepped into the classroom before my first day. I completed my alternative certification online, so it didn't require me to be or shadow in the classroom at all. So my first day of school was my again, first day in the classroom in front of live (laughs) students. (laughs) So it was no more just textbook knowledge, right? It's no more just textbook and what I researched, but it was, you know, real. So but my first Year went really great. I just went with what I knew. Um I knew that I had a love for reading and writing. Uh clearly, you know, I'm a self-published author and I blog, so I wanted to share that with my students, get them to start to fall in love with literature and, and writing. And I just treated them like human beings. I had my expectations. I, you know, modeled by example and wanted to be a role model to them and show them a positive you know, a positive path to go on. You don't have to do what everyone else is doing. And it turned out great. I won like so many awards. My first year I was like, what? I know nothing about teaching. So it was just because I was myself, you know, so it went great. (laughs) My first few years into teaching. So yeah.
0: Cool. So it sounds like you did sixth and seventh grade. And then, uh, Mm -hmm. and and then was it different years or in the same year where you were juggling both?
1: No, so my first year I was uh, in sixth grade. I don't think that they wanted to just toss me into seventh grade <laughs> right Good off the baby, bat, because yeah. you know, seventh grade <laughs> is a whole other animal. So yeah. um, sixth grade, I, once I did, you know, so well with sixth grade, with producing not only, you know, the numbers, but establishing those relationships, um, they called me that summer, my old principal did, and said, hey, so we're going to move you up with your students and I was like huh like what (laughs) how does that work (laughs) and so yep they said you'll be in seventh grade next year they told me who I would be working alongside of and Yeah, I had a bunch of my old students from sixth grade, and they were really excited. Then I had a a, a handful that I didn't have in sixth grade who had other teachers. So ever since my second year, I've been teaching seventh grade ever since.
0: And how would you describe the student population and the school setting uh, where you found yourself teaching in your first couple years?
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so my population for um, the school I started, Add. It was pretty diverse, um, but majority uh, minority population, so Hispanics and Blacks. Uh, where the demographics we were a title one or still that campus still is a title one campus. Mm -hmm. So we serve, serve this populations that are more at risk. And what that means is maybe at risk for, you know, dropping out or at risk because of their uh, socioeconomic status or their parents, socioeconomic status. So it was a a challenging uh, area and a challenging group. But the school I started out at was a school of choice within the district. So mm-hmm. it was a STEM-based school. So people didn't have to go there, but they ch- it was a choice. So it made mm-hmm. it a little easier because they wanted to be there.
0: Yeah. Uh, they
1: weren't zoned there, but they wanted to be there. So,
0: And, and what I, what is your thought on uh, school choice? You know, there's a, obviously a big debate. People f- fall on different sides of this, this topic of whether or not uh, especially in urban neighborhoods or anywhere in general, that whether or not parents should have the choice to go to charter schools versus yeah. private schools versus a traditional public schools. Right. Uh, what's your view on that?
1: Well um currently where you know I'm an interventionist now and I'm an interventionist at a school of choice so I'm very fond of it I feel like just within life in general we need to get to a point to where we are allowing choices life is all about making choices and sometimes they're really great choices and sometimes it's like oh maybe I shouldn't have did that but even with schooling mm-hmm. the only way you know uh where your child fits and where you know what's the best I guess, a uh, path for them is if you ch- ch- have different options to choose from. Public school yeah. settings, especially with the amount of students are at a public school settings. I mean, I, it was plenty of years where I've had 34, 35 students in the classroom. So it may not be the best environment for every child. And I think every parent should have that right and that choice to find the best fit for their child.
0: Thank you for sharing all of that. And then how did you transition into this interventionist role that you're in now?
1: right so my my blog that went somewhat viral um yep. so as <laughs> I specifically said in the end, which I don't think a lot of people caught because they were really um, on the part. Oh, she she left, she left, she left. So I left that specific environment that I was in, but I was not mm-hmm. done completely with education. So I also started doing just more research. And then I had a, a lovely, uh, amazing person at church who works for the, the charter school a system that I am now a part of. And she always just raved about it. always just saying great things about how you know the teachers there they have flexibility and you can actually see the care the care that they take um, with each child it's not just about numbers and money and figures but they actually are trying to build up leaders and character and pushing for them to hey college is a great great route but let's also explore you know who you are and other you know paths for you so I was just drawn to that because that's what I honestly thought I was going to be getting into when I first started teaching Um, and it just wasn't my experience the longer um, I stayed in a traditional uh, public school setting so yeah so that's how I navigated to where I am now as an interventionist, I knew I still wanted to work with literacy. Um, I know I still wanted to work with the population that needed support. And with intervention, um, that's what you do. You support the students that may not be reading on grade level or may struggle with fluency um, and get them to a place to where they're confident and they can perform at the reading or grade level or above. So. Yes.
0: Thank you. Speaking of populations who may benefit from additional supports, have you had experience yet with students with disabilities in the classroom? Yeah. And what has your experience been like working with students with disabilities?
1: Oh, yeah. So, um, most classrooms, which any educator or many educators may be well, enough, well aware of, and maybe parents as well, um, classrooms are inclusion based now, especially here in Texas. And so, I, I'll have a population of my special pop is what we call them, our special population students that do need uh, additional support, whether it is language-based, whether it is cognitive-based. And so my very first year, my very first year, I was already exposed to having my special population as well as my on-level or gifted students in the same classroom. I embraced it. Um, I was usually, usually I had a co-teacher that was a special education co-teach but we would partner and we would feed off of each other and we didn't just you know seclude like okay this is our special population we teach them one way and here's our general population but it was just like a big village you know we we worked with who needed the support no matter what their quote-unquote label was so I've always embraced having my special population in, inside of my classroom as long as the support is there is great a great environment for them
0: yeah, so there's this concept. I'm sure you've also heard of the concept of disproportionality, where data has shown that there's overrepresentation of certain subgroups, racial and ethnic groups of students, in the special education world than than some of their more privileged. Uh, counterparts mm-hmm. do you see that play out in your experience as well and what are your thoughts oh, yeah. on it
1: yeah um and it, it could go both ways even with like the gifted and talented programs it's underrepresentation. representation there's a lot more specifically mm-hmm. hispanic and uh black or african american populations that truly are gifted but because of you know sometimes the labels or you know the behavior or, you know, in, in Hispanic uh, populations, maybe the language that could deter them from being identified as gifted. So on the opposite spectrum, when we're talking about our special education population, I do see an overrepresentation representation of those same subgroups, African-Americans and Hispanic in that population, which honestly I think is behavior. I think a lot of times from what I observe when It's something that, when it's something that administrators or teachers can't reel in or can't put their fingers on, it's automatically, oh, we need to test them for special education. Not considering Mm -hmm. all factors. So maybe they're they're gifted and brilliant, but maybe there's just a language gap there. Or maybe they're gifted and, you know, brilliant. I had one student who didn't attend elementary for a numerous amount of years just because family situations but when I talk to him and the way that you know he expresses himself and the way that he thinks so creatively he's gifted but he would never be labeled as such because of small gaps do you see what I'm saying so I think that's usually the route when they can't put their finger on it or we can't label it or or reel it in we automatically go to okay something's wrong with this child let's test them and I think that's how it how it affects those populations.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like a lot of times it's because of certain behaviors that the child may mm-hmm. or may not be displaying. So sometimes it's off-task behaviors mm-hmm. or students mm-hmm. not meeting certain norms or cultural, I guess, expectations in a, in a school right. community or a classroom community. Why do you think that happens? Why do you think that students from the African-American uh, group of um, demographic or the uh, Hispanic Latin American demographic, I guess are mis- their actions are misinterpreted to the extent mm-hmm. that they are overrepresented in special ed populations, et cetera.
1: Right. I think um, it could tie into parents as well. When I say that is because I always think of the, the phrase, you know, when you know better, you do better. And sometimes if the parent doesn't know quite, you know, how to advocate for their child or to say, well, Hey, no, this is, my child knows this stuff, but it's, it's language or, you know, or my child may, you know, exhibit these behaviors, but it's because of this. So I think that there's just a miscommunication when the, when the schools relay this information to their parents, the parents often think, okay, well, the school spend the most time with my child, so they must know what's best, you know? So yes, let's go ahead with the testing, but really, it's, it's social norms, like you said. Um, I think that a lot of schools and officials and admin am, administrators have this ideal way that every student is supposed to behave. And if you're gifted, you're in this box and you behave this way. And if you're on level or, um, you know, you're in this box and you behave this way and there's no coloring outside of the lines, it's just checklist and they exhibit this behavior and this behavior, this is what they are there. Here's their label. And I just, it, it's, it's a system. It's a system. And I think the more that parents are aware that, Hey, Sometimes it's normal, especially children they they're fighting battles that I know from for my I can speak for myself. I was graduated high school in two thousand and eight, and I didn't even face as much exposure and as many things that these children are now facing so mm-hmm. it's a ho- it's a lot of factors it's not just a one size fit all you know, checklist to determine this. But I think we just need to be more aware um of the systems in place and I think we just need to start having these conversations more so that all key players involved, whether it's parents, the students and the school officials, are on the same on the same playing field as, as far as to what's best, what's truly best for their child.
0: This topic of our conversation is reminding me of a uh little piece from your blog entry. Mm-hmm. You mind if I read a little excerpt and oh, get, yeah. get a, a, a deeper response mm-hmm. from you on it? Yes, yes. Okay, so there's a part in, in the blog post, the one that went viral. It said, just like many of us, and I quote, just like many of us, I took on the task of fighting endless battles, drowning in paperwork, spending 40 out of the 50 minutes per class, trying to encourage my students to try, to want more for themselves, or for a start, pick up a pencil, I went day in, day out, correcting behavior, vulgar language, and gestures, preventing altercations, and calling parents, or finding translators that could. Can you speak a little bit about the realities of the classroom that many don't really get to hear? Because these really resonated with me and my experience as well, and I just feel like not a lot of people hear what goes on in in classrooms and how challenging it can be.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, Honestly, (sighs) There's a few different type of people in the world, and again, when you sign them to be a teacher, some people think about it in the sense of, okay, you know, um, you're so lucky to be able to work with children, or, you know, you shape their futures, and some people look at education like, well, you know, you guys get so many breaks, or, you know, summer's off, but honestly, when you are a person like me and so many other educators that truly care about the people that are looking back at us every day, it's heartbreaking, Because I feel like Mm -hmm. we do spend the most amount of time with children. And us as teachers, we see, okay, this is what this child needs. This is what, you know, this is not working. Tracking them with, you know paperwork and labeling them with numbers and if they don't perform you know this way then this is what's wrong you know just the way that the system is it doesn't allow for us to provide the students with what they truly need and so I feel like our hands are tied most times I have this child I see the behaviors they're exhibiting I want to help this child but again I have 33 other children or 32 other children that all Mm -hmm. have needs. But, you know, the person above me says to focus on this group, because this group is what's going to produce us numbers. But again, I have all these other children who have needs, many of them crying out through their behavior, many of them that don't Mm -hmm. even know that, hey, I'm behind, they don't even recognize it. They Mm -hmm. don't even recognize how the future that lies ahead of them. Yeah, you know, and, and, and that's the part that I think that I struggle with It's because I've been there. I didn't have, um, you know, my, my, I was raised by my mom. Um, my sister and I, she worked very hard and, but she didn't have enough time to sit next to me and work on homework, but I was a, a go-getter. I was a self-starter and I, I did what I needed to do straight A student and, but I didn't have that. So I understand looking at these children like so many of them don't have they don't have that motivation they don't have that confidence they know that they can't read aloud and that's why they're misbehaving because they don't want the attention you know to you know Mm -hmm. to come their direction it's just so many different factors and as a teacher when you know that what you're offering them is not doing anything but contributing to the gap (laughs) contributing to the 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 long road that they have ahead like how do you know, what do you do? It's it's just like, I feel like you're we're limited in a lot of ways and people don't see that. The students are looking at us like, well, why can't you do this, miss? They don't know what our meeting was just about, at, you know, mm-hmm. at the faculty meeting. They don't know that, you know, they said, well, you know, we have to limit discipline or limit suspensions or, or, you know, don't fail them. Don't give them a failing grade, even if they don't turn in anything, you know, just mm-hmm. put a 70 in there. They don't hear this. The parents yeah. want to know. I had a parent break down in a meeting one time. She did not know that her child was in seventh grade reading on a second grade reading level until they called her in for a meeting and the counselor gave her the child's results. Mm-hmm. So how devastating is it? One, of course, people might say, well, the parents should know or recognize. But okay, the parent did not know. But how, devista- how do you catch a student up? Right. And they're in seventh grade, reading and performing on a second grade reading level in a classroom full of 25 plus, 30 plus, when your admin's saying focus on this group because they're going to perform. Mm -hmm. Utilize this curriculum, even though it's too rigorous for them. Bring them up. But how? Mm
0: -hmm. So,
1: again, a lot of people don't understand that. To me, I feel like we're puppets to a system in a sense when you aren't allowed to do what you truly know in your heart you need to do for the children or you're not given the support to actually teach, to actually guide. It's a struggle. I just feel like, yeah, I I can't even describe it. It's a struggle because we're getting pulled in so many different directions and we know what they need, but we're just not able to give it to them.
0: All of what you're saying resonates with me a lot. Thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. so openly about it. Also wanted to hear your thoughts on how do you see the relationship or the interplay between out of school life and in school performance?
1: Oh wow, yes, 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 yes. And the funny thing is, I've heard so many times in professional development meetings that, well, data says or research shows that extrinsic extrinsic or outside factors have minimal to do with performance. And I'm just <laughs> like, really? Really, okay, who was who were the sample size? What demographics were they? what yeah. What small town or what big city did you grab those you know that that information from? Not because enough of I, us are asking those not questions. An, exactly because you cannot tell me that a student who's just witnessed their sister or brother get shot and killed. Or someone who has to play parent to their younger siblings because their parents or parents are too busy mm-hmm. working two or three jobs, can can barely sleep, so they're sleeping in class. You can't tell me that someone who has to worry about where their next meal comes from is going mm-hmm. to come in every day and perform and act like you want them to act, which is in the perfect world, you know, ideal, sit up straight, pay attention, be invested, be engaged, take control of their learning. You cannot tell me that as human beings, that it's, a, it's possible for extrinsic factors not to play a high role in performance. Mm-hmm. I just don't believe it. Yeah. Even as adults, you have to think about it. My mom, I was teaching last February. So February 26th, it'll make a year since she's passed. And it was unexpected. Sorry. When I say unexpected, I had just talked to her at 12. She was at work. Her heart literally gave out oh at gosh. work. And so how... how how cold or cruel do you think it would be for my principal to expect me to still perform at 100% knowing that I had just experienced something traumatic? Yeah. So how do we, how do we expect these children? We're adults. So we've learned how to navigate a little bit. We learn how to be strong, Mm -hmm. but how do we expect 12 year olds or four year olds, five year olds, or even high school age to navigate this world and still be able to shut that off and perform at a level of rigor, every single day, it it just I can't I won't believe it. I don't believe I don't believe it.
0: Yeah. Well, in terms of what happens inside the classroom, some people also argue that you know you can't control what happens outside of the school walls. But they argue that but you make the weather of your own classroom. You you know decide how your classroom is going to be. You set up everything inside your classroom. So if you do. What you're supposed to do, you should be able to still uh, have the child achieve at their uh highest potential.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh of course, I hear again, I hear it in every meeting <laughs> or i I heard <laughs> it in every meeting um in the traditional public school setting, and again and again i I understand where they are coming from, like I get it. We have a job to do, and that's to get the students mm-hmm. to perform, but at the same time, even though we have no control over what happens outside of our classroom we still have to acknowledge it that it's happening yeah and so what I mean by that is yes you can only control your four walls in my past experiences and even now the students love to come to my classroom they don't love reading but they love to come <laughs> their cl- to my classroom because they know I'm one that actually cares they yeah. know that I'm I'm reading their body language I know when they're having an off day. I know when something's not right I know when they're selling themselves short, like I focus on building those relationships. So, but that's my four walls. If they have eight classes a day and they only feel safe and comfortable and nurtured in one class, the rest of the classes are getting yelled at or, you know, they're, you know, as soon as they come in, it's like, you know, they're greeted with the or they're ignored or not, acknowledge at all and then you have the counselors who in in most public schools especially here in texas they're not allowed to counsel when i say that it's because they're swamped in paperwork they're switching sched, they're fixing schedules they're have have taken on 504 and and special population paperwork it's like who you know what i'm saying so it's like you can't i understand the argument but if the the right support is not in place you have to acknowledge that this generation of students, what they're exposed to, is social media, cyberbullying. You know, just the expo- they see the exact same things we can see when I log on an Instagram. Yeah. They see the exact same things. You cannot not acknowledge what they're facing. I understand we can't control it, but we still have to acknowledge it and provide the. Sp- the the appropriate support within the schools and within the classrooms in order to balance it out so that they can perform, so that we can do what we need to do.
0: You mentioned it briefly before that, you know, a child is in seventh grade and your parent and, and school sometimes finally realizes that they're reading at a second or a third grade level. Somehow they've gotten through without being identified as someone needing additional interventions regarding reading. In a lot of cases, they still have to take the standardized test for the state in order to show, you know, whether or not they have the grade level or they've met the grade level expectations. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, sometimes at least that data is used to determine a couple of different things. One, Mm -hmm. whether or not a student should go to summer school or to the next grade. And on the other side, it also, is data sometimes used to hold schools responsible and accountable for the growth that they're supposed to make. So Mm -hmm. no matter where you're coming in from or what academic history is like, schools are expected to get a certain percent of their students to meet proficiency on the standardized assessments. So what is your experience like and what are your thoughts on using the standardized assessment as a measure for both school effectiveness and teacher effectiveness and student achievement?
1: and even even to add on to that funding they make it very clear that you know the schools that perform or have the most growth or meet the a certain level of meets or masters or proficiency you know the better you perform as a school the more funding you get from the state And so, again, to me, it's like, I understand it's a money thing. I I feel like schools have become like a business corporation rather than a place of education. But that's just my opinion. But I understand from the top that it's about funding. It's about performing. It's about the state criteria. But my thing is this, especially in the state of Texas, the standards are so low, in my opinion. For example, in order to consider to be considered passing, you only have to perform at about a 52 54%. So, what are we really what are we really showing our children if out of 100%, 100%, all you have to do is attain 54% or 52% mm-hmm. on reading. But we're struggling to even meet that. So, that doesn't show to me that something needs to change. If if the standards are so low, And it only takes 52% or 54% reading, 46% to get right, to be considered passing, quote-unquote, in math. Mm
0: -hmm. And our
1: students are struggling to meet that. That's not a red flag or a a sign of a crisis, that something needs to change.
0: Well, I, I feel like a lot of people in the policy world, they do say that that's a red flag, but then they say also that the reason is probably teachers right so they, they put it, it back on us <laughs> right it comes down to teacher effect oh if you have an effective teacher three years in a row you know the student will likely to grow this much but if you have an ineffective teacher three years in a row then they won't grow so a lot of times that's the lens that is brought to that
1: mm-hmm. and i think well, i mean from all of the development and you know trainings that i've been to i feel like we we all are performing at a level of well from what i see a lot of strong teachers we perform at a level of rigor and again we try our hardest to bring them up but again it goes back to us knowing where they need they don't want us to meet them where they are so i cannot expect someone comprehending and reading at a first grade beginning reading level or second grade level to grasp the concepts that a seventh grade reading level requires but that's what happens when all of these policies that parents don't see all of these policies that students and people in the community don't see are in place we cannot just retain students like it was before you know Mm -hmm. they can come to summer school for a few weeks make up some hours or make up you know some credits and get passed to the next level does that mean they now comprehend on that level? No. No. So what happens is this child continues to get passed along, passed along, passed along. The gap gets wider and wider and wider. They become more of a distraction or disruption because they don't know how to function or Perform at the level, and again, it's placed on us. We'll make it happen. This is the scores. This is the goal. This is what we need to happen to get funding. This is what we need to happen to get distinguished honor from, you know, the state, or for us not to be a monitored school by the state. Make it happen. But mm-hmm. how? We if, if I have a student, and this is just my proposal, if I have a student, or a majority of my students are reading at a third grade level, I need to go back to that third grade level foundational skills and build them up so no you may not see Mm -hmm. that they pass the seventh grade test that year but you should see growth that now when they came to me they were reading and performing and comprehending on a third grade level but now they're reading and performing or comprehending on a fifth grade level now we're getting somewhere but there's no Mm -hmm. accountability it seems like for anybody but the teachers the students don't have to do the work they're going to get passed anyways the parents you know again they don't they're not really a lot of them a majority of them don't know just how bad it is you know what i'm saying they don't mm-hmm. recognize that hey if, if your child is not doing x y and z or they're not able to critically think or they're not able to fluently read this is going to affect them on the long in the long run like mm-hmm. when it comes to jobs when it comes to college applications so again it's all the pressure is on us and no one else no one else is being held accountable yeah but it's not i mean we can't make miracles no matter how we try but again we're pressured every day to just make it happen do what you have to do to make sure that these amount of students pass and it's just uh, yeah Mm -hmm.
0: it's clear that you know certain students are not achieving as much as some of their peers from more privileged uh, neighborhoods more privileged backgrounds Mm -hmm. And what can be done then in your view? Uh, What are some of the solutions? Let's start with curriculum. Do you think we have the right curriculum, especially, you know, you being a reading teacher, uh, English language arts, do you think what the state is asking you to teach? Do you feel like these are the right skills and competencies to teach at the middle school level? How's your experience teaching the curriculum?
1: Right. So I believe that the skills, the TICs, the standards, the skills are fine. The TICs and skills are fine um, as far as what they're expected to know. They do need to know how to infer, which means to, you know, make predictions or use evidence to support their statements and their thinking. They do need to know and focus on listening, speaking, reading and writing. Those are great skills, and I think that that's appropriate for middle school. But in the same sense, I will praise, you know, the the environment that I'm in now. Every student, regardless if they're reading on level or not, has a reading intervention class. And it's not because mm-hmm. they're you know again not performing or they can't read or they can't comprehend but it's to support the literacy crisis that we have in our nation it's to strengthen it's to challenge them and to push them to the next level and the curriculum that i have that i work with is very flexible and i think that's what more curriculums need we have uh skills that we have to teach but within those skills If the student is performing or comprehending again at the third grade level, there's text for that. That's not going to be frustrating, but they'll still get that skill. If they're performing on level, we have text, same conversation, same skill, same unit, but it's flexibility. So the students aren't frustrated. The students are still growing, but growing from where they are. Um, So I think that the policymakers, districts, when I go about choosing a curriculum, I think it's important to just be honest with yourselves and advocate for what these students truly need. They need to be met where they are in order to bring them up. Like, I understand rigor. I under, you can get there, but you have to start building those foundational skills. So choosing a curriculum that allows them to still uh, work on those skills that, you know, the state requires, but still, again, meet them where they are in their academic performance and their learning in order to best bring them up to level. I think that flexibility is needed.
0: Great. How do you think teachers should be evaluated in the schools? What is their role? What should the teachers be held accountable to?
1: I definitely think that teachers should be held accountable for growth. I hear and have heard administrators say all the time, you know, we're really just focused on growth. But that's not the case. That's not the pressure that we feel as teachers. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. You you know they grew by two percent, but they didn't pass. So we're still on a monitored campus. So it's like you they say that's what we're focused on, but that's really not what we're focused on. But I think that teachers should be held accountable for growth. I think the more time that is a given for teachers to professionally develop is important as well. Um, I know some districts and some campuses are great with professional development. They advocate for it. They push it and encourage it. Then I have some that only offer it, you know, you have to do it on your own time or on Saturdays or after school, which isn't realistic or practical for some teachers. So I think that, again, my main focus would be to assess teachers on continuous professional development so that we are getting the the training and the tools and resources that we need but also we should just be focusing on growth year by year is this student progressively growing are they staying the same or are they declining so then we can come up with a proper plan and and the best curriculum and resources to provide that those demographics every school is not the same every population isn't the same but admin and school officials have to get real and honest about their population and what those specific students need there's no one-size-fit-all curriculum and I don't think that the curriculum should be the same district-wide depending on the the demographics depending on the academic performance you know Mm -hmm. it needs flexibility
0: and what what are your thoughts on effective school leadership what does it take for a school leader or leaders to be highly effective in your view
1: Honestly, i feel uh, okay so i feel like the school leaders have to stop selling their souls for a paycheck and what i mean is i probably would not be the ideal school leader because i am going to advocate for what's right we take mm-hmm. ethical trainings we take you know you know integrity trainings all the time and i and i deeply appreciate that but that's the type of person I am if I see that something's not working for my population or I see that it's a disservice to my students I'm going to advocate regardless of if you wipe me out of my position or not whether you Mm -hmm. say hey don't worry about it principal such and such don't worry about coming back we'll find a better hey but I'm going to fight for what's right and I don't think enough leaders they listen to what teachers are saying they see the gaps widening, they see the crisis, they see the students crying out, but they still like stand or stay silent. They're not doing enough. Mm
0: -hmm. And again,
1: I I think that we have to get back to the point that these are actual lives. These are the people that are going to be out in the world. Um, So many, you know, people making bad decisions, dying, you know, killing, you know, uneducated in the sense that college isn't for everyone, but the sense that they can't function when they get out on their own, we're contributing to that. It's like, how mm-hmm. could you dare be a parent and a principal and not advocate for what your, your school needs? If you get, I'd rather get fired knowing that I stood up for what my students needed than, than to sit silent and just play the role because I'm getting a check. I'm That's just me personally. I think that we need more leaders that really are trying to lead and who really are going to fight for what these children need.
0: You know, Um. you were saying something else before about just the system, and you know, the system is set up in certain ways that it's Mm -hmm. very difficult to do the right thing, or even if you know everyone is good in their hearts and trying to do the right thing, but the way in which our time is being spent Mm -hmm. or is expected to be spent is sometimes not in the right areas. So, how do you think school leaders should be spending their time?
1: I think school leaders need to definitely spend their time um, building as as many relationships as we do. When I say that, it's like, it's fine Mm -hmm. to look at numbers. It's great to look at paperwork, but you need to know the students. You need to Mm -hmm. spend time in the classrooms, not just to appraise or for aha moments, but you need to actually see what is going on, like what these students are facing, where they are. How can you help somebody that you don't know? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You're giving them what you think they need, but you don't know what they need. So it's just like mm-hmm. if there was a, a stranger on the street and I just go and I just hand them a pile of clothes. That's but well, what if that's not what they need mm-hmm. in order for me to provide. What a person needs in order to be successful, what a student needs in order to grow, what a a person needs to be able to deal with trauma, but also balance academics to be able to persevere, even if they are in a one parent household or being raised by aunt or grandma or whatever the case may be, you would have to actually know your population. Spend time in the classroom. Spend time with your students and not just to appraise. That should not be the only time leaders are in the classroom to appraise, to catch the aha's of what teachers need to do better or to discipline. That should not be the only time they spend with the students and in the classrooms.
0: In your experience school staff that you've been a mm-hmm. part of, do you get the feeling that generally speaking the staff feels well taken care of and supported?
1: Oh no. Most times we have these uh, I think it's is a school safety um surveys or I am not sure what they're called, but they're like anonymous surveys that they have that we have every uh year in the oh, school every-
0: environment surveys.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the school environment surveys. And so most times they'll read anonymously at the next faculty meeting just some of the alarming and just disheartening feedback that was provided by staff but from my experiences we don't have and again I say this humbly we don't have enough me's so we have people um, gathering in the break room or gathering at lunch or whatever the case may be or in group chats and texts complaining or saying this is what we need and this is what the students need and we don't have Mm -hmm. support but when it's time to you know advocate or it's time to you know the principal yeah speak up the principal says is there any concerns you know you know anybody anything i can address everyone's silent so i'm like how are you expect when you look back at any major movement in history it wasn't just Mm -hmm. one person in order for things to change in order for the system to change in order for policies to change is going to take people that are willing to risk a lot of things, maybe Mm -hmm. paycheck included, but know that the end goal is going to be for the betterment of these children. You know what I'm saying? And we don't Mm -hmm. have enough of that. A lot of people know that there are problems. They know that we're not treated right. We know that the students aren't treated right, but they stay silent um, for whatever reasons. I got Mm -hmm. a lot of emails um, from my blog. You know, I want to, I want to say something, but I'm just scared or, you know, I don't know what I would do if I would lose my job. So, you know, there's different factors, I guess, that keep people from advocating or standing up for what's right. But it's just like my conscience couldn't take it. My conscience can't allow me to keep seeing this service happen or see man if I I'm contributing to this this nightmare that's going to happen for a lot of these students I me personally I just couldn't do that
0: yeah well you know one of the difficult parts is uh and I love your thoughts on this. what kind of a school staff culture do we need or that is required in order for people to feel of all personalities to feel like they can Share their honest opinions and upon honest thoughts. You know, what kind of school culture is necessary to foster that kind of engagement right. from teachers?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's one where you're it's. Th- <sighs> I hate to say it, but it starts at the top. Um, when mm-hmm. you believe the person you follow, uh, whether that's like church-wise, whether that's a pastor or preacher, um, whether it's in school-wise, your superintendent or your principal or AP assistant principals. When you believe in your leadership and you know that they're fighting the good fight, and that it's going to be rough, you might have to roll up your sleeves and get dirty, but you know that they're in it for the right reasons. It's mm-hmm. easy to have that school culture it's easy to have that. When you know that they're going to go down swinging no matter what with mm-hmm. you, it's easy to have that strong school culture to where both teachers, students, you know, ad- they, they feel comfortable having these conversations and really digging deep into what's needed. But when you feel like you're just talking to uh, deaf ears, when you, when, the, through their words, they say, you know, what do we need? How can I support you? But through their actions, Mm-hmm. there's never any action you know the school mm-hmm. culture const- it, it continuously took a decline it's like I'm voicing even as teachers were crying out but nothing's happening you know mm-hmm. so it's just like why try and that's the last few environments that I've been in has been you know very much so like that. It's is I'm here be glad that I'm here I'll do, you know, just enough, but it's like, why try? They don't care, so why should I? And that's terrible, again, when you have <laughs> lives uh, right in front of you, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, you have to believe in your leadership, and if you can't believe in that, if you don't believe that they're really in it and really fighting that good fight with you, it's it's hard to have that strong school culture, for
0: sure. Thanks for that input. You shared earlier something around A literacy crisis in our nation and I thought of that right now is because one of the questions I always ask you know is there something wrong or something broken is our system of education or educating everyone uh, and giving them the best possible education it's failing is it failing or is it broken is there something wrong What is your opinion on that?
1: Um, If we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to have the same results. It's probably going to get worse. I actually said that in one of my last uh, team meetings from my old school, um, I think the question that was posed was, you know, why, you know, why are the scores what they are? Why are the students not performing? And I just said, well, you know, we can expect to have the same results if not worse this year, if nothing changes. And Mm -hmm. that was, they, it was they were taken aback because they didn't expect that. But I'm like, we need to have honest conversations. If we keep doing the same thing, it'll only get worse. Um, our school systems are definitely broken, and honestly, I'm not sure what went wrong. When I was in school, so again, I graduated high school in 2008, so it wasn't too long ago, but it was it feels long ago. Um, there just was a different. Mm, it was a different value place in education it wasn't just Mm -hmm. a place where teachers were there to babysit or you know uh break up fights or just to input 70s even if it's not earned Mm -hmm. I had to work my butt off for my grades I was fighting for my GPA I was always exposed to you know what I'm saying it was just Mm -hmm. it was different I never disrespected an adult yet along a teacher i never you know it was just value you had a few uh students that tried to be class clowns or misbehave but they were immediately taken out because you were not going to disrupt the learning environment <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying it was just a different emphasis and a different value uh place on education and we knew that when we were there yes we were going to socialize with our friends yes we were going to get to see people that we love and care about and you know be in different activities and organizations but we were there to learn and we were there to be educated now I don't know what happened from when I graduated in 2008 until now 2020 um but again we I didn't see a lot I didn't see a world when I was in school where people were just getting passed along now you always had the Victorian or the one that Mm -hmm. was just like a genius in your class you were competing against but we were all on an even playing field you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. it wasn't the first grade You know, reading level students in an eighth grade classroom next to third grade reading level students next to ninth grade. It just wasn't that. It was no uh, students just getting passed along or students being able to curse and disrespect teachers and show up empty handed. We took textbooks home. We signed them out. We had to take Mm -hmm. books home. We had to study. We had homework. I've had my last environment. Oh, well, we don't really do homework because the students never turn it in. So that's a reason not for them to have homework so because it's it's uh, mm-hmm. the system is broken if it stays the same it's going to get worse yeah there's no character in education there's no ethics there's no just no value at all in education and it's 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 heartbreaking to see um so it definitely needs to change but So if more you people could, need to have these conversations
0: so if you could wave a magic wand to make whatever changes that you think are necessary Mm -hmm. to improve and strengthen our education system for all, what would you do?
1: I would, I would magically somehow uh, let the the state loosen the reins a little bit. You, you believe Mm -hmm. in the principles and you believe in the leaderships enough to hire them. Let them do what's best for their population. (laughs) Give them more, give more power back to the schools. Mm -hmm. And again, you cannot treat every school, every city, every state, every community the same. There's no one size fits all. You have to allow flexibility and adjust, adjust based on who you're serving and what they need. So I would, if I had a magic wand, I would somehow make the state just loosen the reins a bit, like let the schools do what they need to do and let the teachers teach. Like if we could get back to that, (laughs) we would be in a better place, much better place, (laughs) you know? So, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, on that note, if we are out of time, I could, talk to you for another hour I would love to (laughs) perhaps we can do another show another episode one day with you again but thank you so much this was really really amazing really good to have you to share your thoughts thank you so much and that's all for today's episode folks thank you for tuning in turn and talk podcast is your one-stop shop for learning about what is actually happening in schools today directly from the people who are working in today's schools the support for this podcast comes from listeners like yourself people who are interested in the present and the future of education so feel free to head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash podcast. We invite you to also follow us on Instagram at Turn and Talk podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go ahead and do that too so that all future episodes are available to you upon release and downloaded immediately to your device. If you have questions, thoughts, feedback, or if you work in a school and would like to take the mic back, please email us at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in. This is your host, Jay McSoots, signing out. Peace.